Hello, everyone. Today on the show, we're going to talk about the very light subject, which uh, is the true story behind <laughs> Heavenly Creatures, the Peter Jackson movie from 1994. And we both did manage to locate this movie and watch it, which was not an easy feat. Right? It was, it's, you have to like find it in the deep, dark corners of the web. Yeah. The I mean, interweb. I mean, Kate Winslet is amazing in this movie and so is Melanie Linsky. She's and so young. They're so young. I know. They're so young. And it's directed by Peter Jackson. It's called Heavenly Creatures from 1994. And it's really an interesting movie, but it's nowhere to be found. <laughs> like... You gotta. Isn't that bizarre? You gotta really search I for it. Why. I, I guess the it just, Haze Code. It's just, because of the Haze Code. That's right. Yeah. I guess it just didn't get any distribution. On I that. don't know because I I know it's a cult classic. It's not like people don't know of it. Or no, they're... it's totally a cult classic, especially when it comes to female psychopathy and yeah. true stories that were that you know inspired movies from you know psychopathy and. But I guess. It's a New Zealand film, mm -hmm. so maybe that's part of the thing. Like maybe in other parts of the world, maybe it's easier to access. Yeah. How it's much did you love Peter Jackson's like fantasy influence though on the imagination? Oh my god, so good. Yeah, so good. So this is a fantasy horror about two young ladies. <laughs> they were they were very yes, young ladies is how I would describe yeah. them. Young young ladies who ended up killing one of the young ladies' mother with a brick. It's also a queer movie. Yes. Some may object to that, though. Some people do object to that. Really? Including, I think it was Juliet, disagreed that the friendship was ever actually romantic in oh, any way. Oh, okay. So it's interpreted that way. The way the film is yeah, written. Yeah, the film and the true story. Okay, fine. Is that they're different in love, but... Uh, I'll talk, we'll talk a little bit about the real story, but according to her, the friendship was just very close. Okay. But not that. Well, one. and I, and I understand that the movie takes it into a realm of where they actually have intimate contact. Mm -hmm. The movie represents it. It takes it to that, to that point. It does. Up until that point, I related to it quite a bit because as a I'm glad you didn't relate to the rest, rest of it. Yeah. As a female teenager, I had a best friend. Oh my god. And and we were very we were physically close like they were yes. too. Friend girl girl friends as teenagers, many of them at least my experience was that this movie really looked at the intensity of female friendships. And I think that and that means physically, too. That's right. And I wonder, now that we're having this conversation, who decided to make it, sec or to sexualize it or romanticize it, because there is something very normal about young girls being very close, sisterly, sleeping in the same bed, yep. hugging each other, hugging, holding each other's each other. hands, yep. that, of course, we have to make perverse in some way. Well, I guess I would say... The movie doesn't make it a negative thing. It doesn't. It just ramps up their yeah. attachment, which is very important in the movie's like arc of what ends up happening. And I understood that part and I didn't take it wrongly. I didn't take mm -mm. it poorly. But I also think we can also normalize a certain amount of, even if you are not queer, experimentation that mm -hmm. happens at that age and also y one is looking at their identity 
and playing around in that in that field and that sometimes that means that you are innately gay and sometimes it doesn't. It happens with boys too. They just, and boys just don't do the same talk thing. about it the same way. Exactly. Um, so, so yeah. I don't know. It's an interesting thought. Like who? And who again, went, we don't who went that direction. We don't know how much um, Juliet has also tried to keep privacy over the story too. Sure. You know, we don't know. Sure. So. And it's not like we've done books and books of research. Like maybe the the writer of the film or the you know the work on the film was done. Perhaps there was some evidence both in both directions. I think um, if we're looking at from the way the film was interpreted, there really are a lot of mes- messages around the repression of self and our urges, queer or not, and what the lack of autonomy to a child will do. And that doesn't mean mm-hmm. it turns you into a psychopath, but those underlying components are very st- strong. Right, and the real murder happened in 1954 so right. taking that into consideration as well and the repression how did you feel about this um also use of the creation of a fantasy world mm-hmm. knowing that i thought this was brilliant and i think it's something that i know i've certainly been there of using this alternate world in your mind as an escape oh i thought it was so well done and so interesting and i can see why this film I mean, it's dated for sure, but I can see why this film has gotten such good reviews and got such good reviews at the time, even though it doesn't it doesn't go down the road of traditional filmmaking mm-hmm. in in some instances. But I do think, from a mental health perspective, that showing the homicidal fantasies and and the delusions and the fant- you know imagination of this young woman that in the in the first half of the movie it comes off like like the like what Kathy's talking about which is the sort of very normative idea of living out fantasies and then you don't have to do the thing that's right and then it shifts into what we know in forensic psychology which is rehearsal and fantasizing homicidal fan then she very right then she moves into homicidal fantasies where she's regularly envisioning killing and so i just thought that was really adeptly done as far as taking the audience on a journey of those normative things we've all done before or used as self-soothing and then taking it into what we would call the rehearsal of, you know, and homicidal fantasies, which is a part of what we don't want people, psychopaths to do when they're in recovery. <laughs> yeah. So, so maybe that we give a little context to the story, which it took place in 1954, New Zealand. Um, these two young women, Juliet Holm and Pauline Parker were accused of slaying Parker's mother, I believe it was, mm-hmm. I believe she's, it's pronounced Honora Parker, the daughter Pauline and Pauline's friend Juliet Helm. The two girls uh, hit her in the head and were subsequently sent away for five years before disappearing into obscurity. So to give a little bit of background to this is what had happened is both of them had suffered illnesses when they were younger. They meet on at school and they initially connect 
on their hardships. And we know that not Ju- Pauline had more of like a physical illness, mm-hmm. but Juliet had a mental illness and her mental health was further compromised after she had discovered her mother was having an affair. And so the two girls start to get really, really close, having a lot in common. And just like Shannon was describing being, you know, these best friends and they're starting to age into liking boys and all of this stuff. But there's something also very unique about their friendship where the parents specifically, I think it was Pauline's father starts to notice that maybe they're too close and that there's a sexual relationship going on. So the parents decide to really pull them away from one another and to slow things down. In the midst of this, Juliet goes back to a mental hospital and she spends 14 months there. And Pauline writes her letters once a day while she's there. And the movie mm-hmm. doesn't show all of this. No. And she did, um, Juliet denied that the girls were ever romantically involved, but she did say that they, that was her whole life was this relationship. Yeah. And I do want to mention also the cultural differences with money that they had. Pauline, Pauline was from a working class background. Her parents were uh, gardeners and house staff and employed, I think by a, a local university and Juliet's family was, was wealthy. I think that, um, and I think that played into it. I think so too. And I think that Juliet started to stay at, or was it Pauline started to stay at Juliet's more? And there was concern about Pauline really wanting to be a part of that world. And one of the things that the, the article mentioned around the true story leading up to the murder of the mother was Parker whose mother was killed, allegedly said that she would take her own life if Juliet didn't help her kill her mother. And I don't think that was mentioned in the film mm-hmm. or portrayed. If we're looking at this from a psychological perspective, which is something that Shannon and I often do, is you know that what came up for me, Shannon, was the, the idea of like a folly ado or a madness shared by two. Mm-hmm. And what that is is additionally you know, no, known as a, a shared psychosis or delusional disorder, a rare syndrome in which symptoms of delusional belief, sometimes hallucinations are transmitted um, from one individual to another and they sort of co-commit this thing. Mm-hmm. Um, and I do think that there were some delusions and some world fantasy world that was created that if they just did this, they could be together forever. Yeah, I believe they convinced themselves, and certainly Parker did, mm-hmm. and Parker's the one with the more mental health challenges, right? And the no, board- Juliet was. Juliet oh, Juliet. Was the one. Yeah. So the the personality disorder that's there, mm-hmm. uh, the the idea that they would threaten suicide in order to manipulate others is in line with that personality right. structure. I just kind of saw BPD all over this. Oh my God. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, they were 15 and 16 when this, when the murder took place and they met when they were earlier teens, you know, whatever, 12, 13, whenever it was. Mm -hmm. And so personality disorders are, are budding. We don't diagnose till later, but if it's, if it's anything like the movie, (laughs) it it was there. Right. Yeah. Oh my gosh. It was really interesting. I had a lot of different, I had mixed feelings about my feelings towards the characters. And I think that was intentional. You know, there was a lot of empathy, but then there was a lot of like, wow, you're 
fucking sick. Yeah, very. Um, it I, got very sick. And I just loved that journey of like a mm-hmm. lot of normative stuff. Yeah. And and kind of light, the lightness of them meeting and how Kate Winslet's character is kind of funny. And right. They just sort of like each other. And you end up liking both of them for different reasons. They have like different personality quirks that are kind of enjoyable. And it's yeah. just kind of very average and fun and then it's just like this slow descent into mental illness really and the way that and again we don't really know as much about we only know what the self-report is from Juliet and Pauline but if we're relying on the film what it alludes to is that the distress started to happen when they were pulled away from one another Mm -hmm. and then that created this sense of desperation and there's a there's a scene in the film where Juliet is on the phone with Pauline and there's this threat that I think it's, is it Juliet's family that's going to move away, right? Mm-hmm. And Pauline, it just becomes devastated. Like you you can't leave, you can't do this. And Juliet is already starting this like, no, we're going to be together. And, and, and this is where they create this master plan at, you know, Lizzie yeah. Bordening their way into yeah. being together. So- in some ways it feels really like okay this is a total psychopathic film at the same time it feels like this is something that could very realistically happen yeah and i think that's its success is that it does take and again we're not saying we know all of the details of the true story but it this film does take what details we do have and humanizes both of them and gives you that sense that we could all get in a place Mm mm-hmm we might not embrace that we could go that far, no. but at 15 or 16 and you've got this kind of situation and all of the cultural pieces that fell into place here and the mental health issues, it's just, it's realistic to envision. It is not that we have to say, Oh yeah, I could find myself no. in that position. It's more like this felt like a way to look at these young women in a very empathetic way. Absolutely. And I think that the the story arc and the way that it's built is realistic how they got from there to there. Absolutely. There's a lot it's there's a lot of character depth. Yes. It's not just about let's write a story about two psychopathic psychopathic girls because that's fun and interesting and edgy. It was right. like there's a lot of it's very character driven. So by the time it gets to that place, and I remember the scene where the mother's walking and you yeah. know, Kate Winslet has the thing in her hand. Yeah. And Melanie Linsky's ahead. And you can feel that tension there. Yeah. It's like, we're either going to do it right now, but once we do, there's no turning back. And there's that moment where I felt like there was a little bit of a, of a conscious. Conscience, oh, both of them were me. really hesitant. Yes. There was a little bit of a conscience. And then, and then they were there, you know, lies the, the shared psychosis, it was like, no, we're both in and we have to do this. Yeah, and then she follows through with killing her mother. Let me just explicate the actual murder. So on the afternoon of June 22nd, 1954, these two girls, uh, they have tea with with Parker's mom and... They, the movie just drags it out too. It's pretty great. You know, it's wait, you're just waiting. Oh no. Uh, and then following the meal, they take a walk in a wooded area and 
you know, I don't, it says like 400 feet down the path or whatever, they actually bludgeon uh, Parker's mom to death with half of a brick enclosed in an old stocking. Mm. So they get her to kind of turn around or whatever, and then um, Pauline wields this brick inside of a stocking, and and it's brutal, it's right? It's very brutal. It's brutal, it's personal, it's up close. To keep swinging, you would definitely have to have something possessing you, whether that was rage, mental illness, whatever it was, all the things... And after committing the murder, the, the girls, they like ran back to the tea shop, I guess. And they saw the owners of the tea shop there uh, and they had, you know, they're covered in blood. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so it's like, what are you, why are you covered in blood? And then they said, my, you know, they started screaming or whatever. My, my mom has fallen and hit her head on the, tr- on the trail is right. what they told right. the team. Cause you know, that's, that's going to look the same as being bludgeoned to death. My God, you know, you just know, they just, just not, they're right. not like adept psychopaths, you know? No. And they're, she's crying the whole time. She's yeah. killing her mom. Yeah. They're not, I it's, mean, she's not like cold and reptilian through it. She hits her once and then almost puts her out as a mercy killing because she knows she can't stop there. Then she's like, Oh shit. Right. And then keeps going. Right. And, they were tried and convicted and served uh, five years. I saw, I was like, how? And I know they were juveniles, but how was that all right? they got? Well, it does say like they were too young to be considered for the death penalty at that time. Yeah. Now, these days, we do consider... It would have been different. They, they would have been, they probably would have gotten the death penalty. They each spent the five years... And then they, when they got out, they both changed their names. And uh, it did say that the the trial was like sort of spectacular at the time mm-hmm. because they talked about insanity. They talked about lesbianism. They talked mm-hmm. about all of these things in this trial. And so it got very sensationalized because of that. Yeah. Parker, I guess, who was the one who wielded the brick, got put on six-month Six months, six whole months of parole. <laughs> six whole months. Yeah, she after she a lot, was, I'm sure. After she was released. I would recommend this movie if you can find it. It looks like Juliet actually just died this year at the oh, age wow. of 84. Okay. In yeah. April. I'm not sure. I imagine Parker is still alive, but they have new identities and live out there in the world and to my knowledge have not ever offended Again. Well, they were ordered also, uh, they were ordered to, to never, not never see each other again. To never see each other again. Whether Which they did. Makes sense. Yeah, whether they did know. it or not, we don't know. I would imagine it would have been really triggering for them to see one another, but. Yes. You know? Yes. It would have been. Really sad. So I enjoyed this movie and would recommend it. Highly recommend. It is dated. It does have a different feel to it. It does. <laughs> But I enjoyed it, and uh, we hope that you guys do too. Just from what we know from the movie and and a little bit of reading about it, I get that you're saying a folie de, and then I'm saying BPD, and I think you agree uh, with Parker. Is there any other thoughts around? Because I think people would look at this and see some psychopathy going on. Oh, I think it's rooted. I th- I mean, I think that there's some some definite 
root in that, but I feel like they also fed off of one another and did share a delusion. So like what we talked about in the, um, just this uh, recent episode where we were talking about how it can be layered. Psychopathy Mm -hmm. can be layered with other things. And I think that there's psychopathy there. There has to be right in order to go that far to kill your own mother in the way that they did. And and it was so plotted. It wasn't a reaction. It wasn't insanity. It wasn't any of these things. I think that would have to be present. Sure. But I think these other things were present as well. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I, again, I really like how there, um, Mr. Jackson, Peter Jackson, the director, there was a very clear distinction between reality and fantasy. There was. And I think that's one of the ways you can get away with having so much fantasy in there is even when it was innocuous and it wasn't the homicidal fantasies, it was more, it was more the pedestal, right? The mm-hmm. pedestal that we put people on. It was more like the love pedestal and fantasies. And the life they wanted to have that they yeah. couldn't have. Yeah. Yeah. And that delusion of being able to, there's something we can do to stay together. Yep. And that shared delusion became very powerful. And through that shared power and the basis of psychopathy and the BPD, it's like, wow, we can, we can not only have this positive thing going on, but imagine what we can do over here. Right. So that fantasy grew in a way that it became pathological versus like something innocuous or just it, it, they fed it. You know, yeah, and what's interesting too is that I think that whether it was true or not, I don't know, but I can see how society at that time, even now, actually, I believe this would have happened, is to be able to project a sexual relationship onto these two girls and have them, uh, I you know, and identify them as queer, like not them identifying themselves as queer, mm-hmm. but having saying that they're, it gave the culture, it gave the, the court and everybody else like a quote unquote reason why it's like, Oh, well, if you're in love now, we see the motivation for yeah. staying together. Let's set aside that and say they weren't queer. The culture was fundamentally not understanding the nature of female teenage relationships if they thought they had to be queer to want to stay together. That's right. And then the the mental illness and then the Mm -hmm. attachment issues that Mm -hmm. uh, Juliet also had from being such a sick kid and, and all of that. So I, I get what you're saying about like, well, we don't know, we don't, you know, they're saying no, or they said no, they disputed that fact. Yeah, but it's in, not relevant. In life. But it's entirely. also really interesting because it's yeah. not relevant. They put right. it in the film, but but I can. But I also feel like he did a great job amplifying the nature of female relationships right. at that age. So right. he kind of gave us both. Yeah. Which I think is fair. I think, too, the, the last piece I'll contribute is that fall from innocence to experience. Mm-hmm. Because at the very beginning, they come off at least, you know, there's some underlying flags there, but they come off pretty innocent with one another. And over time it builds into this, you know, they start to mature and one of them starts to have a crush on a boy and it becomes this, like they start to mature and develop and become more like we do as teenagers, part of the world Mm -hmm. and absorbing other things. And then they're told, no, you can't have this. Yeah. And that teenage rebellion and all these other things, teenage angst start to happen, but they start off very innocently and they mature through the, the film. 
and you see that and you see how that changes their dynamic. So, well, and I think that's where the mental illness comes in too, where the one character who's going to get rid of her mother, that's the reasoning. Yeah. Like most of us would not just say, well, let's murder them then. Right. 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 <laughs> you know, like, that's, that wasn't my go-to. We're going to, we're going to be split up. You're going to move away. Mm-hmm. I had lots of friends move away as a young person. It mm-hmm. was really sad, but it's like, this person's going to move away and I'm going to miss them. And my, my answer is that I'm going to murder my mother so I can go with her. You like uh, that's, that's where the disconnect right. happens. Right. That isn't because you're being split up. There's something else going on. Well, and we see lots of people murder their parents yeah. and usually that goes forward into full blown psychopathy many right. times, or they go to prison for life type yep. of deal. So yeah. Mendoza brothers. Oh, the, the Menendez Menendez. Thank Mm -hmm. you. Is one of the, Oh, that's a really interesting story too. And there you go. All right. Thanks for listening. You guys, we hope you can find this film somewhere. (laughs) If not, we just gave you the whole film. Oh yeah. And, and the catch is that these two actresses are super young and super amazing. They went on to both be excellent actresses and they're excellent in this. So Melanie Linsky plays a great psychopath. Oh my God. If for no other reason, (laughs) just see these two perform. I mean, she, and she goes on to play more. She's she's fantastic, yeah. and they're they're both fantastic. So if we're gonna just talk about acting and casting, <laughs> that's perfect. Thanks so much for listening. We will catch you next week.